Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You are listening to episode 29. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with my co-hosts Ari Bulubasis and Lamros Sirmos, as well as our special guest for today, none other than the host of the LS Football Podcast, George, who you can follow on Twitter at OliGeorge underscore. George, thanks so much for joining us all the way from Australia. We're very happy to have you on. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm good. Good. It's a Sunday afternoon. It's sunny. Well, actually, it wasn't sunny, but it was mild, hot weather. And uh, let's uh, get started with the uh, with all the chit chat. Oh yeah, we've got we've got a lot of stuff to discuss. Obviously, one of the biggest domestic games of the season, the Derby of Eternal Enemies between Olympiakos and Panathinaikos, happened. Today, as we're recording it, I guess, uh, I don't know how the, the dates work, but for me, it was a Saturday afternoon, and we also have some pregame for the Manchester City tie coming up in the midweek. Before we do that, a few quick points to get out of the way. As always, one of our contributors, Perry Hadjuanu, will be joining us on the midweek series next week to discuss post-match for Manchester City versus Olympiakos, as well as Ike and Pauk's Europa League games. He'll be giving us some insights based on his experiences with his father, who is a former Olympiakos player. That episode will air on Friday, November 27th. Our next episode will be out on Monday, November 30th. We are very excited to announce that we will be joined by Sunsport journalist Konstantinos Lianos. He is an expert on Premier League football and also wrestling, so maybe we'll have to ask him a couple things about that as well. He will be joining for post-match for the battle for first place against Aris, as well as pre-match for the Marseille game in Champions League. Konstantinos has also been featured on The Telegraph, BBC, The Time, and The Independent, so he's kind of a big deal. Before our Champions League game with Porto, we will be joined by Luis, a correspondent for B24 in Portugal, one of the biggest sports outlets in the country, to discuss pre-match for the game. That episode will air on Monday, December 7th. If you want to listen to him talk about Manchester City and Porto players with Adi and former special guest Mohamed Ali from Marseille, you can do that on David Mooney's Blue Moon podcast. Bit of an all-star lineup there where they talked about Olympiacos, Marseille, and Porto players who have played for City. Additionally, we will be joined by Michael Vicini on the episode that will be airing Monday, December 21st. Mark your calendars. It is a highly requested episode. Lambro and Michael will be teaming up for what is bound to be one of the most epic and critical rants in the history of Greek football coverage. And boys, check out the poll. It's on Twitter. We are picking what type of ambiance that Lambro and Michael get to rant to. Uh, there's a couple of choices up there. People are also throwing some other choices in the comments. Looks like Buzukia is are, is winning. Their island Buzukia was up there for a while. Would have been kind of weird, but Buzukia is the the leader here. We could be listening to that in the background while they're arguing. I think EDM is getting up there too. So get your vote in. What type of background do you want to listen to while Lambro and Michael just go at everybody and everything that comes to Greek football? So let us know what you want to hear, and that's what we'll do. 
That's right. That poll was on Twitter. Follow us there at Gate7INTL. Do the same on Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, if, if you'd like as well. I'd like to shout out our good friend Hanu for commenting Chief Keef, because I think that's a good suggestion as well. Just get some Chief Keef music blaring in the background. After that, we do have an announcement for Thigh Thursdays. This is a promotional campaign that has been brought about by Rafinha, our new right back, who notoriously wears his thighs incredibly short in the same vein that Lambro has done in the past at the pool. This is a pandemic that has spread. It's not as bad of a pandemic as COVID-19, but it's spread through the Olympiacos team throughout training. And as a result, we would love to see your Thigh Thursdays. Share your Thigh Thursday photos on Instagram to us, and we will add it to our story. Remember, Gate7INTL, Thigh Thursdays are here to stay. One last announcement. We want to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at www.piraeusintl.com and give them a call at 410-675-4696. Now, I know the Ethniki is done and dusted. We're not going to give them too much attention, but there is one Olympiakos-related point with regards to something that Greece national team manager Johan van Schip said in a post-game interview with regards to Kostas Fortunis. Adi, I think you have more on this, and George, I want to hear what you have to think about it as well. Well, George interacted with us on Twitter and some other guys as well. We were talking about these comments, um, and I'll read the translated comments, the, the full text. JVS was talking about Fortunis when asked about him in the performance. He said, we gave each other time. I explained to him what I wanted from him if he wanted to be a member of this team. And Costa, if I'm being fair, showed it. He did what I asked. He played fantastically for his team and himself. We are happy. Now, this kind of rubbed some of us the wrong way. Myself, George, Lombardo included, as well as many of the commenters on Twitter. Because this was just an unnecessary thing to say. At first, when I saw it and we tweeted this out, it sounded like a statement that you hear from like the, the housewives of Beverly Hills or whatever those stupid shows are on Bravo when they're like getting a divorce with their husband. Oh, we, we had to give each other some time. I had to explain what I wanted from him. Why does he have to insert himself into everything? We already knew JVS had an ego, but it's coming out here. And the part, the line that really bothers me, and Costa, if I'm being fair, he showed it. When you are in an argument or when you are discussing something and you are saying, if I'm being fair, usually there's another shoe waiting to drop. You're not exactly positive about what you're saying. You're trying to say, oh, if I'm being fair, he did this and this. But... I don't like this and this. So it, it just kind of annoys me that we can get positivity about a disappointing campaign, but we can't get positivity about a player who is the best player on the team and the only one doing most of the creating. So it's just kind of frustrating. And I agree with what Lombro had brought up uh, on Twitter as well, 
that it kind of just felt like he was trying to get a reaction almost so he could have a, a reason to get rid of Fortunas. I don't know. I didn't think this comment was necessary. I think he could have just said, oh, he played great. He did what I asked. That's it. What is all this other rhetoric for? It's absolute nonsense and stupid, and it just continues to make it really difficult to like JVS, despite me liking the system he has. He just continues to really not do himself favors. George, what were your thoughts about this? Yeah, look, I read it, and, and I thought about it, and then I reread it, and I'm like, I just thought it was a condescending type of comment to make. You don't need to make them. You're the coach. You just have to come out and just toe the line and say, yep, my players are great. We're all working together. We're all trying to fit into the style that I want. Costas played well. Uh, look forward to next year. Great. I mean, why do you need to go back and say, oh, well, you know, he did this because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just knowing the type of player Costa is that, and the situation that he's been over the last, you know, with his injuries and not getting much game time at club level as well for, for various reasons. He's come out, he's been your best player. Just run with it. He's been great. It was fantastic for us. You know, we can't wait to get him back in and, you know, work on what we're trying to achieve. Done. Simple. Yeah, I agree 100%. And the comment I made on Twitter is that he's almost been trying to bait Fortunis for like, over six months now, like comments like that are just, you're trying to draw a reaction from someone. So he says something that Silvas has said, Manolas has said, Socrates has said, Samaris. He just wants him to say something. So he's like, you're out, you're out the door. We can't make those comments. We're a team. It's so obvious to me at this point because he's done it for six months now. Like, could you imagine being Cosas Fortunis and reading these comments? Like, you're being treated like a child. Like, this is so ridiculous. You've played fine and you've waited your turn. And now he's saying he showed it to me. I guess he, he did it. Like, Fortunis wouldn't even have played, really, if Mandalus didn't have coronavirus. Like, it's just so condescending to the best Greek footballer. And it's just obvious he's trying to draw the reaction so that Bacasetas can be the 10. Okay, conspiracy theory there. But like, and it worked for Manolas. Manolas went on TV finally and was just like, this clown essentially and was like i haven't gotten a call in six months like why why is he bringing up my name why is he blah blah, blah. and like fortunis has done a really good job in the media guys i think you have to give it to him like he suffered this hard injury and like he's getting asked all these questions why aren't you playing is you playing good a reaction to someone is you playing good something and he's kept like such a cool head watching these interviews he always says like i'm trying my best I want to make my family proud. This has been a difficult period for me. I want to do better. Like, what a mature guy who's always made fun of for being, like, too lackadaisical. He's trying his best, and, like, he's just being ridiculed by this clown. Yeah, you make a really good point about the way Fortunis is treated by the media. It's honestly just so classic Greek press. Literally, he does anything, and they're like, how does that goal make you feel? Is that an answer to JVS? do you hate JVS because you scored this goal? Like, and I guess it's maybe more indicative of media in general, but people will literally ask anything to just get a response, to get a eye catching answer. And I mean, to be asked these stupid questions over and over again, repetitively, every time you do anything, I mean, I just can't imagine how annoying that must be, especially for Fortunis who's gone through some spells with injuries and disputes with the coach, which, I mean, who knows what the deal with those is because of, you know, we can't trust anything we hear about that either. 
And Lambro, I just kind of wanted to bring up another point you brought up. If Madalos didn't get hurt or didn't get COVID, Fortunas probably wouldn't have played. He would have subbed him off the bench. So I find it hilarious that he, he kind of sits there like, oh, acts like there was this methodical plan to this whole thing. When in reality, he probably would have kept him on the bench had Madalos had not had COVID or, you know, or had he been available. We all know that this is utter nonsense. <laughs> and George, I wanted your opinion on this. I mean, is this not absolutely ridiculous? He kind of paints himself like, like he's like this philosoph, this soccer philosoph. He had a plan for Fortunis all along when we all know he would have been benched and coming off the bench in reality if Madalos was available. Absolutely. It's not. Anyone could see that that was a case, that he has, he's not in his plans moving forward and what happened fell, you know, fell into his plans and he had to play him and, and all of a sudden he's realised, oh, geez, this, guy, this kid can actually play and he's he, not only that, but he's, you know, the centrepiece of what we're trying to achieve in a formation that actually suits his game, which is even, but anyway, let's, we won't go down that path there, but <laughs> I, I don't understand what I, what I see. I just see, he's got this face that people, and he just looks sour all the time. And that's just his facial expressions. And I think people just jump on that because that's just what it is. But I don't know if you guys noticed after the game, he was actually asked the question and he just, smacked it straight batted it back about the ethnic year and in a loose translation to what i wrote here he just said look the coach said what he said he asked me to do some stuff and i did it hence why i played now that's typical fortunist like you're saying he's not going to get caught up in any conversations that's that's probably the best response you can anyone can give in a situation like that i don't think jvs is trying to bait him i just think that's also his personality and it's not conducive to what he's trying to achieve with certain players because every team's got these key players and every every team's got national team, club, whatever, egos. you got to deal with egos. And I just don't think JVS can deal with them differently. I think he just has one rule and it works for guys like Stuffy Lidis who's just happy that he's even looking at him, you know, where the guy's played like 15 games in the last three years to, you know, your top of the line, best players in the world where, and he just has that same thing and you just can't deal with that. Ronaldo's the same. Messi's 100%. the same. Now we're not, we're not comparing them, but you know, look at how Santos treats Ronaldo. He lets him walk up and down the touchline, uh, gesticulating and, and he's getting the best out of it. Like Santos got the best out of our guys. And then, uh, and subsequently after when he, when he left Greece, Santos even said, he goes, there was a lot of egos in this team, but, who cares? Of course, there's egos in the team. Deal with them. That's good coaches deal with that. Yep. Yeah, I think you you got that all right. Maybe not they, but I just feel like there's a pattern coming. And of course, the conspiracy, it's Greece conspiracy theories come out. And like all, a lot of Olympiacos people are like, there's an agenda out for our players and our ex-players because look at how they've been treated, which, okay, is kind of fair. Our former players and our player have been treated very, like, where are these comments about Bacasetas? who has sucked for like a year, nowhere to be seen. It's almost like if you're a good footballer in Greek, you get the the, the bad treatment. So I don't know. It's, it's just annoying. I'm again, happy we don't have to talk about it so much for four months, but just like, really, man, the, the, the campaign's over. Just say like, we gave it a go. We failed. Don't have to criticize Fortunis, man. Come on. Totally agree. You really can't be criticizing Fortunis in this point. He's a great player and he scored today. 
scored a very nice goal against Panathinaikos to give Olympiakos the decisive 1-0. That would be the final scoreline. Very interesting game today. Definitely a different game from what we've seen in the past. We scored a goal in the first half, and then the second half looked terrible. Definitely a tale of two halves, as they would say, in terms of we looked a lot more attacking, a lot stronger in the first half, and then the second half, Panathinaikos really grew into the game. It looked like they were going to get a goal. I thought they deserved a goal, but they just weren't clinical enough, at least as far as I can see. They just weren't clinical enough to actually get the ball in the back of the net. If you look at what Jan Mvila said after the game, roughly translated from, I guess, French and then into Greek and now into English, he said, after the goal, it was like we stopped playing. After that, we were helped by God and Jose Sa, which I think is kind of a humorous answer. He also mentioned that the team has experienced players who can win even when we don't play well, sort of dealing with that. I also think Bonathinaikos didn't play very well. Um, I know there were some tweets sent from the fingers of our good friend and recent guest, Antoni, about the way his team was playing. You know, maybe not the most positive things either. George, what were your thoughts on this game? You know, from a very general sense, what did you see? What were the key points that you took from this one? It was, well, I mean, we all thought that uh, Sudani was going to start, first of all, and obviously he didn't. So that was uh, a spanner. So the lineup was a little bit, well, I guess a lot of people thought that Fortunis was going to be the, the, the target, well, not the target man, but the man in the middle there. And he certainly was. Look, as a game, we started off well, probably should have got an earlier goal, you know, when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Diudis fumbled that. Diudis, yeah, that's it, when when he had that fumble there. I, I don't think he copped the kick the way it was carrying on, but anyway, um, or didn't hurt that much. But we got the goal and then, yeah, look, it wasn't a pretty game. We got the win. We probably should have scored a second goal. Um, we didn't, so that kind of put us in the back foot. And then in the second half, what can you say? It was all one-way traffic, one-way traffic. And even at the end when um, Paul Bukalakis tried that little whatever move and then Sisse couldn't clear it properly and they made that break, um, they could have ended in a draw there and it could have been teased for. I, I think we deserved to win the game based on what we did. We did enough. Um, it, it wasn't pretty, but we get the points and we move on. That's the way I say it. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's an ugly win, but it's a win. These derby games are oftentimes really ugly, even that's when right. yeah. one team might be the favorite, in quotes. With the derby games, yeah, they've never been pretty. Well, I mean, we've had a yep. big result recently, yep. but they've never been pretty. We've always just eked out a result. Um, look, but I course, they're going through their own you know, trouble times now, but... As a fan of Greek football, I want them to be up there um, because I want to see I want to see those derbies rocking like back in the day, where full stadiums and and just crazy scenes. We're not we're not getting that. Uh, and I know with COVID, but even but prior to COVID, we weren't getting we weren't getting what we saw. So, um, but yeah, we get the points, you know, and we move on. You're absolutely right, 100%. I mean, and we can't forget everyone. Martin's first year here, we didn't win a single derby in that year, you know? So these aren't a given. You know, Even though we're more successful, the team is playing better on a whole. They're not a given. If you follow any other types of sports, American football, hockey, 
Um, I don't know what the setup is for like Australian rugby, um, but divisional games, when you're playing those rival games, they're always ugly. They're hard fought. And there was a comment from on Twitter from Dimitri Pilarinos at Mr. Pilarinos. Uh, and he said the same thing in derbies. What's important is not how you win, but to win. And that that's it. Now we brought up that going ahead to Manchester city. If we want success, we got to do way better than this because this was ugly. To give you guys an idea, in terms of possession, this game against Panathinaikos, we had our second lowest number of attempted passes all season. The only other game where we had less passes was against Marseille, and that's Champions League. So in Champions League, we can expect and even accept that type of regression. But, I mean, this game was just ugly. We we weren't completing a lot of passes. We weren't even on the ball as much as we normally are. So just not a good look. And it get, it just gets worse when you look down the data. I mean, we only had five shots all game. Three on target. Panathinaikos had seven, two on target. This game, there were only 12 shots total all game. That's ugly. Not a lot of stuff going on. Not a lot of creation. In terms of positional attacks, we had 33 of them. Only two resulted in shots. That is a 6% efficiency rating. That is terrible. That's the worst we've had in two years. So, again, not a good look. Bonitinakos was worse. 16 positional attacks in one shot. Just, just ugly. Ugly scenes. I watched the game and said it was ugly, and then I looked at the numbers, and I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know how ugly this was. 12 shots in an entire game for both teams. I almost don't believe that. And I think Panathinaikos had some trouble getting the ball on target as well, which is supported by the numbers too. Yeah, the, the problem today for Olympiakos was really the striker position, right? We, did, we didn't have someone looking at the team. There's no real score. You know, Fortuny's got that goal and he, he's had high scoring seasons, but lately that's not really been his role. Lazar Angelovic scores once every 20 games. Um, and Masura sometimes pops up with a goal from like a cross or from something. So it's like you look at that field and you're like, where are the goals going to come from? And who, who's even going to take the shot on, you know? It's like El Arabi a lot of times will just take the shot and do it. So you're, you're looking at it, you're like, Mari Kamara from distance, Fortunis, like Masura's header, Lazar Angelovic kills a bird. Like it's, it's not clear who the shots are going to come from. So... I, I kind of understand it. And a lot of people were saying that, like, we don't have any strikers. It makes sense. And, yeah, going into the game, I'm like, of course, we didn't have any strikers. It makes sense. But then I watched that first half, and that was the best pressing we've done in, like, a year, I want to say. I, I, I think I sent it to you guys. Like, that first 30 minutes, I was like, oh, my God, this is a new team. We look so good. And I wonder if that was a bit too much with the internationals coming back for our legs. I, I wonder if we tired out. Coach Martin's hinted at it, but. Really, I, I, I don't know, because we looked great that first 30 minutes. Yeah, on the pressing, the numbers for that in terms of PPDA, which is a Scout analytic that stands for passes per defensive action. So basically, when the other team has the ball, how long do we wait to actually start pressing? How many passes do we allow the other team to get? And Adi, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Panathinaikos, when they had the ball, we were allowing them about four passes per defensive action which is very yeah. consistent and strong pressing. No, For some context, like imagine, imagine watching a football match 
and four passes in on every possession, you're already receiving a lot of pressure. I mean, some teams that don't press a lot, you're looking at, you know, in the twenties potentially. So a lot of pressure from us and our guys are on international break too, which might contribute to why they might've been a bit tired. It was at 4.89. So just under five passes per defensive action, which is stellar. I mean, we're, we're really good this season with the press. It's improved from last season as well. I mean, we're sitting in, in the super league five, six, maybe seven passes per defensive action. And this game, it was under five. And you could see that we were getting the ball back. We were dispossessing Panathinaikos pretty frequently. That wasn't the issue. The issue was us also maintaining possession, doing something with it in the final third. It just got sloppy, you know, especially in the second half. And you can see that also in the numbers for the players. The players, in terms of their off-the-ball movement, was solid. In terms of their defensive movement, was solid. It was just the product with the ball at their feet was just not that good. I totally agree, both based on the eye test and the stats. Nobody really had a, a shining game without flaws throughout the whole thing. It was It was very ugly and Nobody really stood out as being great with the ball. Now, George, I have a question for you, if that's okay. Sort of a bigger question. Given today's result, this is basically, and I know they've had some form struggles, but Panathinaikos are probably the best team that we've played in Greece uh, this season in the Super League. We've had Champions League games, obviously, and those have been varyingly successful. But it's an ugly one. Now, it is a derby, and we do have some injuries. But the goal issues are there when our team is healthy. El Arabi has not been able to bang in the goals the way that we have. Now, obviously, a lot of players are also going to be unavailable for Manchester City, which we'll get into. But, George, I want to know how concerned are you in the long term after watching this result? Would you say that this worried you for the long term in terms of what we can do? Or are you chalking a lot of the ugliness up to it's a derby game, we have injuries? The ugliness I'll put to a derby match straight up because it's historically, well, in the last few years, they've always, but they've been ugly. Um, so I can put that to the side there. But I do have a worry with regards to us, our inability to score, even with a fully fit front line there. And my concern is that Kuipers and Rusay, who and Sudani haven't been given enough opportunities to to showcase their skills i don't know what hugo can do for instance for us now it's a big step playing for us um but we need to we need to give these guys an opportunity now i don't want to be critical on martins because you know he's 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 been successful for us as well so i want to trust the process and i want to trust that he knows what he's doing and he can see what these guys are giving at training and maybe just unfortunately doesn't rate him at this point of time but it is a concern because this is his squad and he built it so if he didn't trust them six months ago or three months ago well we're kind of stuck now until January perhaps and uh, moving forward into a Champions League match where not even a Champions League match just moving forward for the season with um, playing Balk who's all of a sudden received a new lease of life with their coach we need to find these goals and we need to find them somewhere. Now, where? That's as good a question as uh, anyone can answer here. I, I have I have the answer to that. It's Go in through. Marseille. 
It's on the bench of Marseille. Kostas Mitroglu oh, will be available God. in January. It's oh, been a while since him. we've had yes. this. It's yes. been a while. I, I mm. would take him in a heartbeat. <laughs> our yeah. good friend, Alain, who's one of us, uh, our French-Greek man, bulk fan. He's uh, also a Marseille fan. He loves him. He rates him. He reckons he's been hard done by at the club. And there's a lot of shenanigans and stuff that's happened behind the scenes that have that have stuffed him up, um, but I would have him in a heartbeat. My problem is, or my thought process is, at the time when he chose not to come to us and he went to Turkey instead, maybe that ship has sailed. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. hope he comes back and I hope he starts banging them left, right and centre. Even if he's not even part of the Champions League squad, even if he just comes back and he gets used like a Torosidis or something, sparingly yeah. come in, do a job. Yeah. yeah, the only problem I think is his wages are so incredibly high. So it, it may be a thing where his contract needs to run out in the summer and then we pick him up to play that role. I don't, I don't even know what he really wants. He could be off to China. He could be off to Arabia. He's, I'm sure. I'm he, sure he Marinaki's will look after him. Yeah. The so big, it's, The big man will look after him. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but what, one, one thought I have is for this goal drought problem, if we get Sudani back to his form, that's why I'm so excited to see him play a little more now with... Um, the guy's out is he's so good with a with a second forward almost like next to Hassan and running in behind and he looked so good there the last season like I'm really excited to see what he can do and just his little run out he got today at the top I thought he can't play solo striker like he that's not his role for him and I think actually who did we play was it a Poland we played at home and Kuiper's played solo striker as well I I, I think both of them are almost like second strikers. I could be wrong about Kuypers. We haven't seen enough of him, but I don't know. I I, I think that they need Hassan or al be next to them, and maybe that's why Martins is kind of reluctant to play either of them solo. I, I don't even really want to begin to go into what's going through Martin's mind, but for me, it's he's very risk-averse. I mean, we've, gone, we've said this over and over and over again. He's going to trust the older guys. He's going to trust more veteran types. He's not going to experiment too much. And even last year and the year before, he always seems to rotate between the same like 14 players, 14, 15 players. That's it. Then you have guys on the fringes that almost never see game time. So I, I really don't know what we're going to see because if we aren't seeing that more diverse inclusion with all the injuries we have, when are we going to see it? That, that's the question for me. For those who are maybe a bit unfamiliar with the issue, I will, might refer you to, I think it was the most recent episode with Bob Beans where Lambro just gave a Hall of Fame rant about the lack of inclusion of a lot of these younger players, Maxi Lovera, Vrusai, Andruzos. And we've talked about and we've known since, even since last year that Pedro Martins is relatively unwilling to rotate even in Greece. I mean, we saw Andruzos as a winger and then Lovera for five minutes today. But, like, what is that? I mean, they barely get a chance, and they definitely could have been used in a much bigger context. And Vrusai, who is a natural winger and showed some really good attacking prowess, didn't see the pitch. So I know Lambro is worried about this, and I certainly am as well, just because surely this is a great opportunity you would almost think it would be a blessing in disguise to give these players a chance, but it doesn't really seem like they're getting it. Yeah, and I think maybe that risk aversion came out with the Derby. You know, he kind of was like, this isn't the time to see these guys play. 
but it's almost like when, when will the time be? I don't know. Maybe next week. I ha- I haven't looked exactly who we're playing. Adis maybe. So maybe Adis. not even. It's on the road. So he'll be like, oh, it's an away game. It's a big deal. So there's never a right time, it seems. And I, I cannot express how happy I was when I saw Thanasi Sandro just warm up and then get on the field. I was so happy for him. He He's like one of my favorite Olympiacos young players. And I just want him to get a chance so bad because he showed it almost three, four years ago under Paolo Bento. And I was so excited for him. And I thought, okay, a few loan moves will do it. And I just really hope he gets the opportunity because I think even in that short period of time, he showed he has talent for his sake and for the club's sake, honestly. I, I hope he can he can prove himself at whatever position he plays. Well, I wanted to ask you guys because... When we were talking about how our form really dipped as the game progressed, especially in the second half, but even towards the end of the first half, there was a noticeable formation change after the first substitution, around 65 minutes in, when Sudani came on. We went from playing that 4-3-3 with, you know, Madi, Madi and Vila Bukhalakis in the midfield to playing like a 4-4-2. It was more like a 4-4-1-1. Mahdi was pressed way further forward. He was almost playing like a, a lagging striker at that at that point with Mahdi and Mvila playing in a double pivot. Well, or in a four wide, I should say. Masuras on the left, but then Fortunis was pushed to the wing on the right. And part of me wonders, obviously we started to see that we were kind of getting a little bit lackadaisical anyway, but it just got super ugly. And I'm wondering if that formation change really didn't do us any favors. Maybe it was something Martins tried just to see if he could change the shape. Maybe that would get things going and it just didn't. And I wanted your thoughts on that. George, what's your thought on the formation change? Do you think it made things worse? Were things getting worse before that? What were your thoughts on the formation change? It's a good one. I think it's a combination of uh, Pathnaikos pushing for a goal. There was a lot of changes within the team as well. So then that probably impacted us from after we scored the goal anyway, from the 30, 35th minute onwards. We just, we couldn't get get ourselves going. And then you've got Panathne, of course, pushing and pushing for a goal and things are changing around as the subs went on. And then you've got players pushing out to other directions of the field. And I wouldn't sit on it too much. I wouldn't overthink that. Personally, um, I just think it was a combination of key players missing, key players playing for the national team, and a Panathinaikos team that was pushing hard for a goal. I don't want to read too much into it because we got the win at the end. So it, it, that, that was the most important thing there. One thing that uh, we haven't mentioned is obviously the lack of a left back in the squad right now. We saw Rafinha play there today. I mean, he's clearly not a left-footed player, but he has done it before. He's an experienced player uh, in Germany. You know, he's he's played that position. I honestly thought he didn't do half bad. We had Drager on the right, who he almost reminds me of Bruma when he dribbles, like sort of looks a bit uncoordinated, but it sometimes comes out and works in the same way that we've said about Bruma before. I thought he played well on the right side, and I thought Rafinha wasn't too bad on the left. He was obviously instrumental in the attack that produced the goal. So I wonder what people think about Rafinha at left back, because we're probably going to be seeing it again against City unless Ruben Vinagre can make a recovery. 
Well, the analytics support that. I mean, he had a pretty good game over there. I mean, he at least has the same production on the left side offensively that Holebas does. We know we've talked about it in the past. You know, with Holebas replacing Tsimikas, we've had a huge dip in terms of the offensive productivity on that side. He doesn't cross as often. He doesn't get forward as often. It's because he's older. He can't He can't make those runs constantly all day. Rafinha did this had almost the same offensive production. He registered one key pass, was again one of our leaders in link up play despite being on the left side. And when you look at our positional attacks, the majority of our positional attacks and the most threatening of the positional attacks all came from the left. Uh, on the right side, we actually registered a, a zero in terms of expected goal differential from the right side. So nothing really came of that. And part of me wonders, well, maybe it's because Rafinha wasn't there, but I thought Drager did an okay job. Um, I think it was more Lazar being the issue for that. So Rafinha did fine. Five of seven defensive duels. One is only aerial duel. One interception, seven recoveries. One for two loose balls. He did pretty well over there considering it's not his, his natural position. Honestly, for me, Rafinha was man of the match. If I'm being honest, guys, he produced the goal. Like at the end of the game, was it Mario coming down the middle? He had Carlitos yep. on the right, someone else on the left, and he and Rafinha slid in super early. It was like, yep, where are you going, man? But then he just stuck his foot in there like a 36-year-old veteran, just knows where to put it, and stumbled up and saved a great chance. Oh my god, the the worst goal to concede ever in a derby. But that was great work. And then yeah, for the assist on on the left. And honestly, from what I've been thinking, like, if we look at all four of these fullbacks as a total product, who are the two I'm most happy with? It's been Rafinha and it's been Draker. So if, really, if if he needs to play there, like, I, I'm fine with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Olebas doesn't produce anything offensively, and Vinagre looks like Emre Moore, a Portuguese Emre Moore. He's going to play, like, one game and then head out the door. Like, obviously, I have more <laughs> oh, hope for him. Yeah, <laughs> no, Peter's upset with that reference, but like, come on, man, you're like, I, I need to start seeing some more from a wonder kid and a 25 million buyout option, you know, I, I'm sure we're going to see it, but us already looking at fullbacks in the January transfer window shows to me that Emery, or not Emery more, Ruben Vinagre may be out the door in January, so I'm a bit worried about that one, there's another one of my references, but yeah. Bambro, I'm. I apologize for giving you a little little stick for your references. I do love them. I want to. I want to shout you out. I want to give you some credit, and I want to allow you to have your little moment to shine here. And and George can have an additional moment to shine as well. Um, regarding the goal, our OG listeners will recall the second Omonia game when we had just signed Jan and Vila, that Lambro kept mistaking him for other players like Madi Kamara, claiming that Jan and Vila was a long ball maestro when in fact it was other players making those passes. Lambro, I'm going to ask you, who had the long ball to Rafinha that started the move building up to the Olympiacos goals today? Who would that be? I think we all knew it. I With this new Nova package, I actually get to watch Greek matches in 1080 <laughs> HDP. The Ammonia game, not going to lie, it was some sport blank weird page on the internet where I found the stream. <laughs> So I'm going to put my hands up. Maybe I made a few mistakes there, but Jan and Via is the man. Long ball city. That's all he does. He produces the good stuff. Adi, I know you're eating crow right now. He's the best <laughs> pastor we've ever seen. Blah, blah, blah. No, but seriously, Jan and Via has been great. Um, 
that long ball today was a beauty. And actually, again, another veteran thing Rafinha did, like that child, Hatiovan, he's like going for the ball and he gives him that little nudge towards there, towards there. And then he just leaves him and he flies forward that like made him look like an absolute clown. And our, the funniest thing was he was on the ground, like waving his arms, like, hey, what happened? Rafinha's playing the ball perfectly in the Masuras. So another like just beautiful ball from Mbia and like, such a good expert move by Rafinha, really showing like his knowledge of the game, just leaning in. So Hatiovanis goes forward, goes for it, and then he's just like, nope, and moves out. Hatiovanis goes flying, and he gets the ball perfectly. Really, two veterans producing the goal, and that's what Coach Martins has been focusing on this season. The two veterans, you know, and Villa with the great ball, Rafinha with the skill to kind of play it in perfectly. So it saved him there, and you know, I think that's a thing we're going to see throughout the season. Uh, another player that kind of stood out for me was Cisse, at least defensively. I thought Cisse did pretty good in the defensive end, especially as Panathinaikos started to get more and more forward. I thought he did a pretty good job getting balls out, you know, doing well with what came in front. He had a 100% uh, defensive dual win rate, won anything, anytime he challenged an opponent ahead of him. Four for five in the air. 11 interceptions, 13 recoveries. He led in terms of those metrics for our team. Good, solid performance from Cissé. We're used to seeing that from uh, Ba. And I'm glad to see Cissé stepping up while Ba's out and, you know, take the initiative in that starting role. Can I add something here, guys? The, do, the, do the stats talk about free headers where no one attempts to defend them out of curiosity? Because in the first half, Kudbelis had this free header and they all, Cissé, Semedo was just, they all just Semedo was marking just, nobody, I remember this. Yeah, and they all yes. just stood there and watched him and I'm thinking to myself, you can't do this, guys. So I wonder, stats, I like stats and when I hear these stats, I think they're fantastic. But then you sometimes you think about the game and you wonder, okay, Cissé's been made out, he had 100% duel, which was fant uh, success in the air. But then there's opportunities like that where there was a player with a free header. And I wondered, are there stats for that? I mean, that's his not. that's his one loss for aerial duels. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, it was a rock. That's his nickname. I, I thought he played <laughs> well. Um, it was interesting that Bale's on the bench there, but um, I can't complain the way he played. There was a few times in the back line that worries me where we just allowed players to head the ball. It, it's like someone was waiting for someone else to, to head it. Uh, to head it out or to challenge for it and no one did at the end so I saw that a few times in the game which was a bit of a yeah. concern I'm sure the coach if they with their video sessions they'll talk about that but otherwise the two defenders were great for us I think in the match the one thing I will say about Cisse as we've talked about the first Olympiacos game I ever watched wasn't too long ago striker Cisse scoring a goal our Cisse not Jibril Cisse late in the game against Bonathinaikos to get us a draw. I think Cissé had one of his own that he unfortunately didn't get on target. We need striker Cissé back, folks. This could be the answer to our goal drought. I thought he was surprisingly good with long balls today. What did you say, Adi? He attempted like 20-something long balls uh, during yeah. the game. You know, yep. that's really good. He was uh, very much trying to be that quarterback for us, which is kind of weird to see from him. It's not a role that usually expect to see because Ruben is definitely the better ball handler and George it's funny the <laughs> uh the uh what you were bringing up about those the the aerial balls uh so Rafinha was at fault for a couple of them he actually didn't win any so the, okay. whoever he was marking in our part of the field he lost 
Uh, it was like th- it was two or three of them. I, I don't have it right in front of me. Um, Ruben lost one in the back. So you say lost one in the back. So like they each lost one. You know, they each shared their blame in some of those. Uh, but on the whole, they 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 did their job. But there was one player that was particularly poor that stood out, and we kind of talked about this a little bit pre-recording. Uh, Lazar Radevich. I mean, he just had another poor game. Now, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, he was pretty active. Uh, nine defensive duels, challenging for the ball, more than a few recoveries. But it felt like when I was watching that he gave the ball away more than he actually did anything with it. And he only attempted 19 passes, completed 16 of them. He did give the ball away about five times in terms of possession, you know, making a pass, doing something with it. And he lost almost all of his offensive duels. What does that mean? Besides his his dribble attempts, he got into six offensive duels and he won one. That means anytime he was challenged while he had the ball at his feet, he lost it. He couldn't hold on to it or even try and get rid of it. And that's a problem. We know how deadly he is when he's getting forward with the ball on these runs, when he's getting the ball maybe at about midfield, has space in between him and a defender, can take that space, get by them. He can be really dangerous. We've seen this in previous Champions League qualifiers in Europa League matches. But for some reason, when we're on the front foot and we're possessing and we need better hold-up play, it just doesn't give it to us. Once again, we just had another mediocre, below-par performance from him. And this is starting to become a recurring theme here. I think you guys, you guys have touched on it already. He needed a loan move before he started playing regularly for us. And even if it was for the last six months of last season or, or all of last season or the first part of this season, he mm. hasn't gotten that loan move. And what we've subsequently seen is we've seen a guy that was essentially a super sub for us all of a sudden being a starter. And it just hasn't worked for him. My thought process is the way he goes is he tries to play the same game that he played when he was coming on for 10, 15 minutes for the 90 minutes. And as the game goes on, he just gets worse and worse and worse. Now, I don't think he's a bad player. I actually think he's a really talented player. But I just think that he could have done with a nice loan move to anyone in the Greek Super League, a lower team, where he would have been the man in the team. And he would have played and just got his legs and got used to the the week in week out grind of the actual Greek Super League. Um, look, alas, it's it's not meant to be. Obviously, he's doing something right with the coach picking him. You know, we can only hope that uh, he starts turning his performances into uh, something better and starts getting assists and goals, which we know he is capable of doing. Yeah, and I, I'm, of course, one of the critical voices of Lazar Angelovic, but God, I don't have to say it over and over again. It's just not good enough from him. Has he scored a goal this season? He's played like 12, 13 times. I don't think so, has he? Has he even made an assist? I, I don't think so. So it's just the same story over and over again with him. It's just like there's a hole in production there. It's almost like a whole lepas on the wing. Nothing really happens unless it's an open counter and disappointing and so my my whole point is like Mario Vrusai considered amazing talent played amazing in the Netherlands Ajax and for him like just give him 30 minutes man like throw him out there is Lazar Angelovic really worth it like I don't I don't think so man are we counting the Greek Cup in the season oh, the much I, delayed Greek Cup because he oh, had the goal yeah. there and I think yeah. he had an assist against Panetolikos I believe did he? Uh, I, I think he's the club. Massive assist. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. but 
Yeah, besides the Greek Cup and that, no, there he he's got nothing else. I mean, it's not like he it's not like he's even a really a big creator, you know. I mean, when we discuss key passes, smart passes, uh, that's not even really something he does either. You know what I mean? As much as he dribbles on people, it's not like he's creating a lot of clear opportunities. He's got three key passes all season as a winger. That's not, not good. Masuras is Masuras is way better than we give Masuras stick sometimes for being a little bit inconsistent on the on the offensive end. And Masuras' work rate and ability to track back is way better than Lazar. Lazar can do it, but Masuras is much better on the defensive end, which we know Martins values. I think it might have been Bob Beans that was one of the first to discuss a loan move for Lazar for us, now that I think about it. But yeah, I mean, I really had high hopes because the end of last season, kind of before the corona break, and even right after the coronavirus break, we, we thought maybe we were finally getting that from Lazar. Maybe we were starting to get that more complete winger that could stretch the field, give us the width, you know, take on defenders. But right now it's not turned out to be that way. Sorry, guys, just on Masuras, if he can find five to seven goals a season, we're going to sell him for huge money because I think he's a star. I just think his end yeah. product isn't there, but the rest of his game is perfect. So if he can start getting those five, seven, eight, nine, ten goals or whatever it is a season – I reckon within a year or two, he'll be on to bigger and better things because I, I genuinely think he's one of our best players. His only thing is that there's no end product, but yep. he's always in the position to finish that off. So maybe Lazar can uh, train next to him. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> Learn from him. And Stelio Janakopoulos agrees with you because we had the conversation with yeah, him. Yeah, that's and right. He, yeah. he mentioned that he had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Masuras because Masuras wanted to improve his game to be better in that offensive the, that offensive third and get that final product. He watches Janakopoulos tape constantly. And he's willing to learn. And I mean, that's that's really, I mean, that's a coach's dream right there. You have a player that wants to be better, is putting the work right in, leaves it on the field. You know, you can't ask for anymore. It's just, I wish every player with technical ability had that work ethic. And you know what? Lazar Angelovic leaves it on that party nightclub vibe, you know? <laughs> oh, Shouldn't even be, let me just go back to that. What a disgrace, you clown. You shouldn't be in the team after that. You know, you just leave it all in the, the Athens hotel with 30 people getting coronavirus and shaming our club. Another point, Lazar Angelovic. I'm not happy with you. I, I just remembered that as you were saying, leaving it all in the field, because I thought Lazar leaves it everywhere, too. In the nightclub, like, what are you doing, man? Clown, clown behavior. Yeah, he's we didn't have these injury problems, he wouldn't even be playing. Exactly, Peter. Germs everywhere. The freaking girl got arrested. Alexis Kouyas, Michael, your owner, is saving her as top lawyer in Greece. Let me express, we cannot wait for Michael and Lambro to be on the podcast together. That that entire oh Alexis Kouyas situation will be addressed again, rest assured. Anyway, I think that about wraps up our thoughts on this game, unless people have any final points to make. But, George, we usually go around and give out awards for the game, you know, man of the match give a grade, a letter grade to Pedro Martins for how he did as a manager during the game. And I think I'll get started if that's all right. I think my man of the match, I'm going to give it to Fortunis just because he scored the goal. Cisse is a close second for me. Rafinha, I think Lambro mentioned Rafinha was his man of the match, but I'll let him get into that more. Also a good runner-up. And for Martins... We've talked about how, you know, you can only control the, the ugliness of the game so much in these derbies. 
I'll give him a B minus mainly just because I wanted to see a little bit more rotation to some degree. A lot of the tactical issues that we had were out of his hands. So I will award him that. And we did get the three points. So B minus, maybe a B, but I just want to see some of the younger players more. George, what are your thoughts? I will agree. I think Fortunis, Rafinha both played well. You know, you can split. I'm, I'm happy to stick with Rafinha there just for that slide tackle that he put in at the end. Um, I thought that was nuts when he was when I saw him do that. I'm thinking, what are you doing, man? You get it. But it almost looked like it was in slow motion. He just went, shh. And then I think whoever was a player, who was a, who was a striker for, I think it was, who cares? Um, yeah. Are you talking about Makeda or uh... no? No, no. Right at the end when they had that when they had that break. Um... Was that Villafanias that was up there? Maritio, right? Or Maritio? No, it was Maritio. Yeah, I think it was Maritio. Yeah, and he just where Rafinha just slid in, and I think he just didn't know what to do, and then all of a sudden he lost the ball. So I'll stick with Rafinha there for my number one. Fortunis bomb goal. You know. That's his bread and butter. You know, he, he puts those things away nine out of ten times. Yep. Uh, as for the coach, I'm going to give him a solid B. As I said previously, in these derby matches are hard, regardless of where the club sits, uh, the opposition sits. They're hard games. Uh, but they, of course, has a lot of those young Greek kids that get it as well. And that's the main thing with that club. And it's always been their, their thing that they do. And these young Greek kids... They play well. They play strong. They understand. They go flying in. There's no, I mean, one of the, but I think course guys missed the city and he started laughing. Like, yeah, I could imagine all the pole fans that I know would be want to want to kill the guy. So for what we saw, for the for what we had, um, for the situation that the coach was in, uh, all the players out, solid B. Yeah, I guess just before I give my man a match for Panathinaikos Zagaritis, I think his name is Alexandropoulos. And Buguras, these are players of the future for the Greek national yeah. team and for them. And they really should be the focus. They have other Greek kids on the bench who... 100%. Yeah. Probably should be playing. Hatiovanis is like considered one of their bigger players, but he's getting old and I feel like he's getting a big head, almost a little arrogant. And those kids play their heart out. And Zagaritis is so good. Like at left back, I thought he played an excellent game. I don't know. 100% what... agree. I think yeah. I get up close too. Zagaritis put the cross in for Maheda, who uh, yeah. stuffed it. Yeah, and Alexandropoulos came onto the field and like was bossing the midfield. Just a good game from him. I think he's a player to look out for. Hopefully for Greek national team fans, he starts getting game time and maybe he could be the eight that Adi always talks about if Galanopoulos can't. But uh, from a man of the match, I, I mentioned it early, Rafinha denied a great goal-scoring opportunity and produced essentially... Well, it wasn't the assist, I would say, but like produced a near goal assist. Yeah. And for Martins, I think the subs didn't really come off other than Danasis Andrutos. What a player, what a player. Just don't think about the bird he killed with that one. <laughs> just <laughs> Other than that, he he had a great, again, I have a smile on my face seeing Andrutos play for Olympiacos again. I'm really happy with him. Um, Yeah, uh, I would give him a B or B minus. The subs didn't really work, but he won the derby. You know, that's all you need in the end. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna stick. Uh, I, I was leaning B minus a little bit before, but I th I think I think a B is fair. The starting lineup, obviously, it's not something I would have wanted to see. It's risk averse, and I can't begrudge him that because you know it's it's a derby game. The as far as the adjustment goes, obviously things weren't working. Jonathan Ikos was making adjustments. He tried to counter that. The kind of only critique I guess I would have had for that was moving Madi further up in the number ten. 
Mahdi doesn't excel when you push him all the way up. He's always done better having more field, more space to work with. That's why he's an excellent eight. I've never thought he's been amazing at the 10. I've always liked him in that box-to-box role. I feel like he's just needed in that midfield battle, but he got the job done. Uh, so I won't begrudge too much of that. I think a solid B is definitely a fair grade. Man of the match, it's tough because, you know, it was like we said, there wasn't much going on and some, and shots were at a premium. 12 total shots. Fortunis made the most of his. So I'm leaning to in a deadlock like this to give it to Fortunis because he broke it. But Rafinha's up there too. So I'm, I think I'll give it to Fortunis and then Rafinha's like the runner-up. Well said, Adi. I, I think it seems like we're all on the same page generally. I guess that closes the door on what was a rather forgettable derby game, but we'll move on. I think one of the highlights for me was, as Lambro mentioned, Andruzos on the breakaway at the end of the game. Oh my goodness, if he scored that goal, I would have gone crazy. I was like so excited, and he absolutely fluffed the shot, and as Lambro said, probably killed a couple birds in the stands. But it's the thought that counts. He looked good down that flank for a little bit. Moving on to the Manchester City game. There's not really too much to discuss here. Obviously, we played this team very recently. They're a big Premier League side, although they did lose to an informed Tottenham squad 2-0 this weekend. They're going to have pretty much the same team, most likely, that they had against us last time. No real injuries that I'm aware of. In fact, I think they're probably getting more healthy. I think Sergio Aguero was on the bench this weekend, so they'll have potentially him in the lineup. We saw the impact that Gabriel Jesus had coming off the bench for the first time in a while for them against us last time. It is technically a home game. Who knows how much that's worth? Obviously, those English players traveling to Greece might have an effect, but we're still going to be missing some players. Jose Joleba, still out. El Arabi and Hassan, still out. Valbuena, still out. It's going to be a similar team. We're not going to have much of an opportunity to rest guys, including players like Fortunis, who had a real workload on international break. George, what are your thoughts for this game? Just in general, what do you see as potential issues and how do you think the injuries might affect the game? Look, Man City losing to Tottenham today or whenever they did didn't help us. Um, looking at the draw, they played Burnley next week. So now I think they're coming last or second last. So I can see them going, at, going for us in this match. So I think it's a danger match now. <laughs> Two hats. Does Martins wear the hat that, you know, forget this match and just try to just move on from it and, and he puts a weaker team out there? Or does he go for it thinking that we still have a chance to, to pick up second spot? I don't know which hat he's going to wear there. So that that's the interesting part. I don't believe he's spoken about that game or anything yet. So it'll be interesting. If we, I hope we do go for it because... Um, Second spot, I think, is still up for grabs if we can pull a win um, or a result there. So, But if if he decides to rest players, then could be anything. I hope Fortunis gets a, gets a game and showcases his skills there because a lot of these Premier League guys like to back off um, anyway. So, And I think he'd be a maestro there and he'd show Guardiola what he's uh, capable of doing. Yeah, Pep Guardiola himself said that he wants to see Fortunis play. So right, Fortunis, yeah. this could be a huge game for him. You know, I don't know. Maybe Man City's calling in January, but <laughs> I don't know about that. But this match is almost set up to be a repeat of Barcelona like three years ago from the disaster class, Takis Lemonis season, Besnikasi, Oscar Garcia, 
disaster season, but one of the fine results was a nil-nil versus Barcelona in the Champions League, our only point, I think, of that campaign. You have the same setup. You you throw three more defensive midfielders out there. You throw Fortunis at the top and then the two defensive wingers and you pray to God Luis Suarez doesn't score or Messi doesn't score in this time. <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling and all of them. So it's kind of set up the same way. I was joking, like Takis Lemonis looking down from wherever he is in Greece. Like, I told you guys, Fortunis, that striker. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Personally, I don't care if we get a result or not. I just want to see them play the best. I want to see Fortunis show the world almost. They have so many supporters that he's a top football player. And we'll, we'll take it from there. I agree with you. I mean, if, if I were the coach, you know, these Manchester City games, I would have already been expecting. I'm not getting points from any. I would just be trying to play well, throw a lineup out there, and see, especially away, I would have just thrown something out there, you know, mixed it up a little bit, thrown a surprise, see what happens. Um, I think in terms of the lessons we can learn from the last game, we did have some things go our way. I mean, we started to really possess well against them. I brought up in a past podcast with David Mooney that, you know, we are the only team this season that has been able to possess as much as we did against Manchester City. We were the only team that they had played to that point that's been able to do it. Now, I haven't looked back to see if anybody's done it since then, but we were the only ones that did. We held up possession very well, especially the, the first 30 minutes to that second half. So that's something to be proud of. And one thing that really helped us was switching away from the 4-3-3 to the 4-2-3-1. We got more compact. We were able to control the midfield better. And I think especially with the, de the depleted squad that we have now, I don't think we can afford to do a 4-3-3. I think we need to stick with a 4-2-3-1. You know, we're obviously going to be throwing two defensive midfielders out there. It's most likely going to be uh, Jan and Vila, and probably uh, I would do Mari Kamara, um, throw both of them out there with Fortunis playing at the 10. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see that, obviously, because, you know, we know how Martins is. We, I think he's going to be more risk-averse and probably just throw the 4-3-3 out there. But that's what I would want to see is a 4-2-3-1 and just go for it. One thing I also wonder about, Adi, is the pressing intensity. We mentioned briefly with the Panathinaikos game that Olympiakos were looking at four PPDA or five PPDA, I guess. That's really high pressing. Against City the last time out, not nearly that. Adi, do you think that increasing the pressing would be a wise move against City, or do you think it would potentially be detrimental to the team given how tired they might be from international break? A little bit of both. Here's why. We were pretty successful at times uh, in terms of our press against City. Remember, in the first half, our press was horrible. I mean, from the time it started, as you got closer in, I mean, we started off at like 93 passes per defensive action. That's horrible in the beginning. We almost never touched the ball. Then, obviously, as we closed off the half, we got down to about 10. And then in the second half, our PPDA was around 12. City... We got to be honest, guys. They are a whole different league than we are. That doesn't mean we can't compete with them. That doesn't mean we can't play well against them. But we got to be honest. The caliber players they have, they have two defenders that are worth our entire team. I mean, you could even say Aguero is probably worth the value of the club. I don't think it's a stretch to say he's, you know, a 70, 80 million pound player. He's an astonishing player. 
So we have to always remember that. So we can always try to press, but I think Martins's coordinated press is a little bit better because as much as we try, these guys are one touch triangles, you know, maybe not to the level that Pep's Barcelona was, but it's still effective. And if we're not careful and we're not cohesive as a defensive unit, they're going to break us down. So I think we need to stay compact, stay as a unit, press as a unit. I think the 4-2-3-1 suits us better with that respect because it gives us more structure, or at least that's how it looks on the field. So I think we can do it. I But, you know, again, we have some very important pieces that are missing. And it's I don't think we should be right, you know, full court pressing off the back, kind of roll into it. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, Adi, I don't even think you have to bring up Aguero. Man City have play, paid like 200 million pounds in like mediocre left backs over the years. That's like three <laughs> times our club value and just left fullbacks. Like Benjamin Mendy's cost like 50 million pounds. It's like almost like, oh my That's God. That's half. Man. That's over half the club's worth. Yeah, which is just, that just says it all really. We don't really have to say much. You know, they've they've spent our club twice over in just the left fullback position. So what works best against City is really just sitting back. And I think Tottenham just won 2-0 with like a fourth of the ball and five shots and won 2-0. So honestly, I, I don't really, really want to see that press come out. Let's just park the bus and frustrate them. With uh, Aguero being out for so long, their strikers haven't done much. I know Jesus came on against us as well and scored, but let's do the Mourinho. Maybe Jose Mourinho got on the phone with Pedro Martins. They had a nice little 30-minute conversation and we figure this out. I don't know. Uh, you want the Portuguese park bus, the good old Portuguese no, 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 no. park bus I the, special. I want the Takis Lemonese special. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I want the bus. Someone call a bus. George, given the injuries and the game script for this game, what do you want to see as a lineup for Olympiacos going into Tuesday? I think you guys said it four two three one. I'll be happy with that. It, it's it's probably the most safest. Um, formation that we could play. I don't even know who's fit, who's out, who's going to be available after this game. But if we just stick to a solid four-two-three-one, I think if we just play Buhalakis and Kamara and MVA in the middle there, um, get a bit of width. We're going to play probably uh, Semedo and Ba as our centre backs. I personally would hope um, Fortunis plays in the number ten plays deep behind the striker there um, just to be able to show what he can do rather than be the main man, be the man up front because I do actually think that they try, they play really nice football, right? From what I've seen with Man City, but they open themselves up as well. So, and I think someone like Fortunis might be able to capitalize on, on that um, given the opportunity. Now it goes back to my question initially is Martin setting us up to go for the match? Or are we setting up to park the bus? Are we setting up to go for a draw? What are we going to set up? What's he, what's he drilling in his team? Personally, I hope we go for it because we've got nothing to lose anyway in this match. So I say go for it. The three nil score line that against them it was flattering because they scored those two late goals and they were just bombs that most times they were just good hits. Um, so I, I personally hope we go for it, stick it to them, and get our season back on track in the Champions League because I do believe that second spot Porto is not that good. 
So if we can get a result in this match, we're going to be all systems go. If we've got our next match against Marseille and then Porto as well. So I, I genuinely hope we go for it. 4-2-3-1, I think, is the best formation for the, for the situation that we're in right now as well. So with that being said, George, I'm going to ask you to make your prediction, maybe a hot take for this game. <laughs> what do you think the scoreline will be? If we score goals, who do we think is going to get on the score sheet? What are your thoughts? Look, I think if we win, we're going to win probably like a 2-1. If we lose, I think we're going to get pumped. It's going to be like a 2-3-0 result. I think a 2-1 win, um, I, I think it's going to be another Fortunis masterclass. The, the kid's been on fire. He's been playing well of late, so um, I genuinely think that he's going to continue this on. It's not very often that a coach of another team, of Man City, you know, Guardiola specifically pulls out a player like you know, Fortunis and says, oh, I wish he, you know, I was kind of looking forward to him playing. So I think that'll give him a little bit of an ego boost as well for him to showcase his skills. And I genuinely think Semedo is also going to want to showcase his skills because he was agitating for the move. He didn't get it. He got himself a bumper pay rise, but now's your time to shine, bro. I think them two are going to be the key players for us. I think that's a great shout. And especially now with Liverpool sniffing around Semedo, I think he would love to show like a clean yeah. sheet and a great performance yeah. against City. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick, the lineup I would say is I would drop Lazar Getsubani in and him and Fortuny switch back and forth between right and center almost. And Matty covers almost the right, you know, for defensive cover because Fortunis isn't going to be there all the time. Lazar offers nothing other than coming on for 20 minutes and running at a poor Zivchenko or whoever it is. Um, I think that's the option. But I like 2-1, actually. I think 2-1 could be the, the scoreline here. And that's what I'm going with. You've taken my scoreline, like, three, three podcasts in a row. It's like you're living in my mind somewhere. I'll be different. I'll be different for this. It is home for whatever that's worth, I guess, these days in COVID football. But I think we go 4-2-3-1. You know what? We're all expecting to lose and kind of get killed again. I'm going to do a shocking, a shocking 2-1 win, Olympiacos. Well, I'm not going to be as optimistic. I'm going to say we repeat the 3-0. And as George said, 3-0 was probably not representative of the first game, to be fair. They got two absolutely gorgeous goals at the end. And the third one was really just us having given up in, you know, the 88th minute or whatever it was. But I think 3-0 is probably likely again for me. I agree with the assessment of the lineups. I hope we can find a way to get Lazar out of the team. I guess Bruma's probably not going to be fit for Tuesday's game, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, if he is available, I'd love to see him in. If we're losing 3-0, 70 minutes into the game, bring Mario Vrusai on, see what he can do. That's all I ask. Uh, same with Andruzos, same with Lovera, potentially. We have these big benches for Champions League and a lot of subs. So worst case, we get clattered and maybe we can see some of these players that we're yearning for because, you know, the attack is really thin right now. I guess I'll be the negative Nelly here with the 3-0 prediction, but I don't know. At the end of the day... A loss is a loss for the table, you know, unless we have to go to goal differential. So hopefully it's not that damaging and we can go get wins against Porto and Marseille and at least get Europa League football. I think that would be a good result given the circumstances. That's completely fair. Like 
our two strikers have tested positive for coronavirus. Yeah. We're the Liverpool of Greece. Like everyone has gotten a hamstring injury and is out, you know. Yep. At this point, let's just hit and dash Europa League football. Let's just get to December with your European football in the winter and with the first place in the league. Honestly, that's that's the goal with all these injuries. It's craziness. So we're the Liverpool of Greece because all these Liverpool players keep hanging out with our players and giving them coronavirus. Like <laughs> Navi Keita, Hassan, like what what is happening? I mean, this is madness. And then yeah, the injuries are starting to pile up too. To be fair to Liverpool, I don't think Jurgen Klopp is rash with throwing out 36-year-old players. I mean, he's just really had a stroke of bad luck, whereas we're just running Matthew Valbuena against Atromitos and Panitolicos for 90 minutes. And, oh, wow, surprised he got hurt. But that's not important. We've said it before. I'm not going to say it again. Careful how much you bring up Liverpool. Those fans are going to start coming into our Twitter again, telling us we're Farmers League. Our players aren't good enough for Liverpool. Yeah, you're right. At Saucy Sala 11, if you're listening, I don't mean any ill will to Liverpool. <laughs> Best of luck this season. Honestly, I'm Give so us scared. money for Ruben Semedo. I mentioned the mediocre fullbacks. My Twitter feed is going to be attacked about like Zinchenko highlights now. I'm scared. <laughs> Liverpool fans are the worst. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't yeah, worry. we'll have I'll to be. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we'll have to be watching out oh, for sorry. Magical Mendy. At Magical Mendy 22, you know, <laughs> but I think that about wraps up our coverage or at least our serious coverage for the day. We're hoping for the best on Tuesday. George, before we let you go, we want to give you the chance to promote anything that you've been working on. Obviously, LS Football is a brand that we have collaborated a lot with. The podcast so far has been a success. You guys are doing a lot of really great work covering a much wider span of Greek football than the three of us could ever hope to do. So, to all of the listeners listening to this now, I'm sure that they might be interested in the LS Football Podcast. So where can they listen and where can they follow you on social media if they'd like to do that as well? Thanks, guys. Yeah, look, at Hellas Footy, um, all our social media platforms are like that. Uh, Twitter is our main one, but we also are very active on Facebook and Instagram. We've got a YouTube account that we try to make videos for that's kind of fallen on a bit on the wayside, um, but we're looking to get that back up on track. And yeah, we've got a blog account, a blogger as well, that um, we've got a 10, 12 of us that constantly write about all different types of football. We've been blessed as well. We've got guys that cover all teams, all leagues. So we don't just focus on the Super League or the Big Four. We also focus on the Super League too, the Football League. So every now and again, you'll hear stories and see blogs about the smaller teams and the little things. We've got great writers that love watching the under-21s play. So if you ever want to read up about the younger generation coming through guys like apostolos is an absolute gun he can he can tell you about um all the young guys coming through look it's just really great we've, we've just the community we've been building it for the last oh, good six or so years and it's just grown and it's great with you guys now that are in here and whilst you're in olympia of course mostly based um you've opened your doors up to us and 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 vice versa and to a lot of others and it's great. A Greek football community in English. Um, there's so many expats, there's so many people around the world that follow Greek football and we're missing out on a lot of the information because it was all in Greek and second generation, third generation Greeks weren't getting as much information. So it's great that all of us have been able to get together and do our thing and promote the beautiful game. So yeah, look, thanks. You know, you've had me on. Um, it's been fantastic. I just wanted to say one thing, guys. I don't know, going back to the ethnic gear, Savelas. 
What's with those extra small jerseys that he's wearing? Has anyone noticed? <laughs> Did anyone notice that? It's not a it's not a fitted jersey. It's an extra small jersey. He's it's trying like to look he's... bigger to scare the opposing yeah, players. But, but but it just looks wrong because he's ju- it just looks like it, he's taken an under 16s kit and wore and <laughs> wearing it. Don't get me um, on oh, he's doing uh, the the schmedium, the extra schmedium spec. Yeah, I don't know what that. Yeah, it, it was just it was really uh, it was just annoying. I'm thinking someone needed to tell him, look, mate, you, it doesn't look good on you. Just it makes it, him it emboldens him so he can get into more fights on the field. Yeah, you know? well, there you go. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's uh, that's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> The, the big Savelada for us. <laughs> well, that's a good note to end on. Our man of the match for the game against Slovenia. Very well deserved. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, George, thank you again. You made all very good points about the importance of this content, whether it's us or whether it's LS football. Folks, if you're interested in a much wider ranging array of content about Greek football, more than just the three of us talking, LS football is the place to be. It is a great resource on all sorts of social media. And I definitely enjoy reading and listening and watching a lot of their content. George, thank you also for your insight today. We really enjoyed having you on and discussing the game. Obviously, it's always great to talk to other Olympiacos fans and expand in the community. And we really appreciated your thoughts on the Panathinaikos game as well as Manchester City. Thank you all for listening, especially if you've made it this far. We are always open as... We always say to feedback on social media, you can follow us at Gate7INTL on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit. Send us a DM, mention us in a tweet, whatever you want. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to this on Apple, we will be back on Friday. So a slightly longer break with Perry to discuss the European games of the week. So until then, enjoy the games. Have a great week and we will see you soon.